Please open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. We're going to focus on verse 29 of Romans 8 this morning. Verse 29. It's a verse that mentions two significant doctrines that Kevin has mentioned already, foreknowledge and predestination. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Foreknowledge and predestination are sometimes controversial doctrines, but I think when we rightly understand them, they can be very comforting doctrines. When we understand what it means that God foreknew us and predestined us before time began, not because he looked ahead and saw something good in us or saw that we would believe in him, but only because of his sovereign grace and mercy and love. When we understand that the roots of our salvation can be traced all the way down, all the way back before creation, when we understand that God loved us and chose us before the foundation of the world, that is comforting. That's amazing. That's life-changing when we grasp that with our minds and with our hearts. Sure, there's questions about these doctrines that need to be answered. There are objections that need to be addressed, and we will address some of them. But these truths are not meant to stir controversy. They're meant to give comfort. They're meant to give us joy in the Lord. They're meant to give us humility in our hearts, to give us assurance of our salvation, to give us confidence in God and in the work he began in us and will complete in us. So that's what we're after as we look at this verse together this morning. But before we begin, let me pray and ask the Lord to help us. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us now as we come again to your word together. Help us to understand these doctrines, these truths more clearly to grasp them more firmly in our minds. And we pray that you would enable us to draw comfort and encouragement from them as we struggle with sin, as we go through various circumstances in our lives. Please strengthen us and encourage us and help us to see more clearly, especially that our salvation is by your grace and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans 8, I'll start reading at verse 28 and go down through verse 30. And again, our focus this morning is going to be on verse 29. This is God's word. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We'll think first about foreknowledge, and then we'll think about predestination. 
Paul says again, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So we'll think first about foreknowledge. And there are three things I want us to consider this morning regarding foreknowledge. First of all, it is the first link in what's been called the golden chain of salvation. Foreknowledge is the first link in the golden chain of salvation. The golden chain is in verses 29 and 30, and there are five links in the chain. For those whom he foreknew, that's number one. He also predestined, that's number two, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, that's number three, And those whom he called, he also justified, that's number four. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, that's number five. Five links in the golden chain, all linked to one another, and all linked to Christ, from whom all blessings flow to us. These five links are a part of what's called the ordo salutis. That's a Latin phrase that means the order of salvation. That is the sequence of events that took place and are taking place and will take place when God saves us from our sin. So first, he foreknew us. He set his saving love on us before time began. And he predestined us for salvation. He elected us or chose us for salvation by his sovereign grace. Then he sent his son to live and to die and to rise again for us, to accomplish our salvation. And then at the appointed time for each of us, he called us to himself effectually. Even when we were dead in our sin, he regenerated our hearts and enabled us to repent of our sin and to believe in him. And we were justified. We were declared righteous in his sight. And we were adopted into the family of God. We were given all the rights, all the privileges of the sons of God. And then throughout our Christian life, we are being sanctified. We are being made more like Jesus. And we are being preserved by the grace of God so that we can persevere in the faith. So that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. And the finish line is glorification. When we will have sinless souls and resurrected bodies for an eternal life on the new earth with God and his people forever. That's the ordo salutis, the order of salvation. And you can see how these five links in verse 29 and 30 are a part of that order. This is every believer's biography, as the subtitle of our book of the month puts it. This is the work that God has done and is doing and will do in each one of us who've put our trust in Jesus. The details of our stories may be different, but the chapter titles are the same. Foreknowledge, predestination, atonement, effectual calling, and so on. This is what God has done to save us and what he is doing and what he will do according to his promise. So think about what year you were born. Now think about what year you were converted, as best as you know. For me, I was born in 1980, and as far as I know, I was converted in 1986. But this verse, verse 29, tells me 
that there was a whole lot going on before 1986 in terms of my salvation and God's plan for it, and the same is the case for you. This verse pulls aside the curtain just a little bit and lets us see something of the heart of God for us before there was time. Truly, he works all things together for our good, as we learned in verse 28, because verse 29 tells us that's what he's always been doing. He's always been working for our good. Even before time began, he foreknew us and predestined us to experience the ultimate good of conformity to the image of his son. So be encouraged this morning about what God has done and is doing and will do to save you from sin and death and hell and to bring you all the way home to glory. This really is a golden chain of salvation. It's not a rusty, old, clunky, old chain. It is a golden chain. It's like a golden necklace. Beautiful and valuable and enjoyable and delightful. And the first link of that golden chain is foreknowledge. Second thing we should consider regarding foreknowledge is its meaning. What is the meaning of foreknowledge? What does it mean when it says, for those whom he foreknew? Well, let's consider first what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God foreknew that we would believe, and therefore he predestined us. That is a common misunderstanding of what this verse teaches, a common misinterpretation. Some read the words, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and interpret them to mean something like, for those whom he foreknew would believe, he predestined. So before creation, God looked ahead, he looked down the road into the future, and he saw that we would believe in Christ, and on that basis, he predestined us to believe in Christ. That's a common misunderstanding of what these words mean. It does not say, for those whom he foreknew would believe, he also predestined. It's not talking about God knowing certain facts beforehand. It's talking about God knowing certain people beforehand. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He foreknew people. He foreknew us. God didn't predestine us because he saw that we would believe. We believe because he predestined us. Faith is not the cause of predestination. It's the other way around. Predestination is the cause of faith. Just like in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It doesn't say as many as believed were appointed to eternal life, but as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. God's act of predestination is the cause of our faith, not the other way around. Just like the moon glows because the sun is shining on it. The moonlight is not the cause of the sunlight. It's the other way around. God's act of predestination is the sun. Our faith is the moon. So when it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, it's not saying... God foreknew that we would believe and therefore he predestined us. 
That is what it doesn't mean. So what does it mean then? When it says that he foreknew us, it means that God knew us beforehand. He foreknew us. Not just certain facts about us, though of course he knows everything about us. He knew us personally before there was time. He knew us in the sense that he loved us. He set his love on us. He fixed his saving love and affection on us beforehand. He foreknew us. John Murray paraphrased this verse as, for those whom he knew from eternity with distinguishing affection and delight. So when it says that he foreknew us, it means really that he foreloved us. He loved us before the foundation of the world. So what made the difference between you as a believer and an unbeliever was not your faith. It was not God's foreknowledge of your faith. It was God's foreknowledge of you. God's forelove of you. What made the difference was God's electing love of you, though you are undeserving. It was God's gracious love that made the difference, not your foreseen faith. What made the difference was not you, it was God. It was his foreknowledge of you and his forelove of you in Jesus Christ, his son. As God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you. As Paul says later in Romans, chapter 11, verse 2, referring to the remnant of Israelites, those who were Jews inwardly as well as outwardly, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. God foreknew us. He knew us beforehand. He loved us beforehand. He foreloved us. That's the meaning of foreknowledge. Thirdly, what about the significance of foreknowledge? What is the significance of this doctrine for our lives as Christians? Well, there are many things we could think about here. Perhaps you could talk about this after the service or over lunch today, come up with some things on your own about what is the significance of the doctrine of God's foreknowledge of us. How can we apply this doctrine to our lives? Let me mention two things. First, this doctrine of God's foreknowledge of us should produce humility in us. It should produce humility in our hearts, in our character, in our words, in our actions. If the reason God predestined you was because he foreknew that you would believe, then your faith would be the ultimate cause of your salvation. And perhaps you could take some credit for that salvation. After all, what made the difference between you and the next person was that you believed and they didn't. But if the ultimate cause of your salvation was not your foreseen faith, but God's foreknowledge of you, the fact that God knew you and set his love on you before there was time, then all the credit for your salvation goes to God. Because he is the one who foreknew you. He is the one who predestined you. The source of your salvation is God. The roots of your salvation are in God. And knowing that, getting a hold of that, believing that, 
that'll produce humility in our hearts and in our lives. It's like spraying weed killer on our pride and pouring miracle grow on our humility when we contemplate these doctrines. Like the passage on the front of the bulletin from Deuteronomy 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. God foreknew you and predestined you, not because he saw that you would one day believe. Rather, you have believed because God foreknew you. God loved you beforehand and predestined you by his sovereign grace. So the aroma of our character, both out in the world towards unbelievers and in the church towards each other, should be the sweetness of humility, not the stench of pride. So kids, when it's time to come inside for dinner and you walk into the kitchen and it smells wonderful because your mom is making something yummy for dinner, the aroma, the smell is inviting, it's appetizing, it's not a bad smell, it's a good smell. That's how we want our character to be towards others with God's help. We want the aroma of our character to be the sweetness of humility, humility that points people to God and to his sovereign grace. And that comes in part from remembering and believing this doctrine of God's foreknowledge, that we are united to Christ, not first and foremost because of our faith, but first and foremost because of God's grace, because God foreknew us, foreloved us before time began. So this should produce humility in us. Secondly, it should produce confidence and rest in God's love for us. Knowing and believing this doctrine should produce confidence and rest in God's love for us. At times, I think we can struggle with a sort of uneasiness about our relationship with God. An uneasiness or an uncertainty, maybe, of what he really thinks of us. There can be a kind of restlessness in our relationship with God, an unsteadiness. We might wonder, does he really love me or does he merely tolerate me? Am I performing well enough for him to keep loving me? Am I trying hard enough to stay in his good graces or am I just failing miserably and disappointing him constantly? To be sure, he doesn't love our sin And when we sin, we should repent of our sin and receive the forgiveness and cleansing of Christ. But as children of our Heavenly Father, we're not meant to go about our days never really being quite sure of what our Father thinks of us. We're not meant to go about our days thinking of our Father as constantly critical of us and distant and impossible to please We're not meant to think of our Father as quick to anger and stingy with his love. No, our Heavenly Father is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He loves us. He doesn't love our sin, but he loves us in spite of our sin and because of Christ. And we can be confident in his love and we can rest in his love and part of the reason we can do that is because he foreknew us before the foundation of the world 
He loved us beforehand. He set his love on us from all eternity past. God's love for us is eternal. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. There's a great quote from theologian Gerhardus Voss. He once said, the best proof that he will never cease to love us lies in that he never began. He never began to love us because his love for us is eternal. His love for you will never come to an end because it never had a beginning. He has loved us with an everlasting love. It's everlasting in both directions, forward into the future, yes, but also backward into the past. He foreknew us from all eternity past. So one of the takeaways from this doctrine of God's foreknowledge of us, I think, is simply to bask in his everlasting, never-ending love for us. Simply to take it all in, drink it all in, to let our hearts fill up to overflowing with God's love for us and to be confident in his love for us and to rest in his love for us. Certainly to respond also to his love by loving him and others. But the main takeaway is to have our feet firmly planted and our heart deeply rooted in God's love for us. A love that had no beginning, a love that will never end. Well, let's not forget our second main point, predestination. We'll look at that now more briefly than the first point. Look again at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Three things here. First, we'll think about the definition of predestination and then the direction of predestination and finally the destination of predestination. First, the definition of predestination. When it says that God predestined us, it means that God destined us beforehand for salvation. He foreordained and decreed our salvation from eternity past. He elected us and chose us for salvation. He predestined us for salvation, a part of which is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Or as Ephesians 1.4 put it, that we heard read earlier in the service, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So God predestined us for salvation, and he predestined us for every blessing of salvation specified in those verses. Or Ephesians 1.5, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, as we already considered under foreknowledge, our predestination, our election, is unconditional. That is the second of the five points of Calvinism, unconditional election. That is, our election, our predestination to salvation, is not based on some condition we've met, that God foresaw that we would meet. It's not based on something in us, it's based on something in God. 
namely his foreknowledge of us, his forelove of us, his purpose and grace toward us. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's not random like the lottery. It's not based on merit like a sports draft. It's more like an adoption, an intentional choice, not based on the merit of the child, but based on the love and gracious purpose of the parents. Our predestination to salvation was unconditional. It was not based on us meeting any kind of condition. It was based solely on the love and grace and sovereign purpose of God. Now, this doesn't mean that we are all robots. Everything's predetermined, so our choices don't really matter in this world. No, that's not the case because the Bible is clear that our choices do matter and are meaningful and we are responsible for our choices and held accountable for our choices. We are humans made in the image of God. We're not robots made of metal. Also, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't bother evangelizing or praying for unbelievers because it's all predestined anyway, so why bother, we might wonder. The Bible is clear that some of the means God uses to gather in the elect are our evangelism and our prayers, feeble though they may be. We might wonder also if predestination and election are unfair, but we should remember that all that God does is fair and just. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just, Abraham said in Genesis 18.25. God himself is the standard of fairness and justice. And in one sense, if what we desire, if what we want is fairness, then nobody would be saved. But the fact that some are saved is because of God's overflowing love and grace. Now let me just pause to say that if these doctrines are new to you or if you have Questions that remain in your mind, since I've only addressed some very briefly, I do hope you've gained some clarity this morning so far, but let me recommend two resources to you, and I'll show them to you. The first is this booklet that we have out in the narthex called What Are Election and Predestination uh, by Richard Phillips. This is a good summary of some of what we've been talking about. And the second is the book of the month that I've already mentioned, From Everlasting to Everlasting, and I said I would say more about it. Uh, Essentially, what this is, is a 30-day devotional on the Ordo Salutis, the order of salvation. And some of the early chapters cover topics like foreknowledge and predestination that we're talking about. So you can take a look at these, uh, and uh, both of them are out in the narthex. But I think um, I would also encourage you to come and talk to me afterwards, or talk to anybody else around you, and perhaps ask a question if you have a question, and we'd be happy to try to answer whatever questions you may have. But that's the definition of predestination. Let's consider, secondly, briefly, the direction of predestination. The direction of predestination. Paul says in verse 29 that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the direction of predestination. That's the journey God has set us on. We are being conformed to the image of Jesus. We are being made more like Jesus. That process begins when we are converted, and it continues and increases throughout our Christian life, and then it is finished and perfected when Christ returns. We are formed in the image of God. We are deformed by sin, 
And now we are being conformed to the image of Christ. Made, then unmade, then remade is the journey we are on. God predestined us to be remade into the image of Jesus. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Or Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. God predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. As Christians, we want to be holy We want to be less like our sinful selves and more like our sinless Savior. We want to be more like Jesus, and we want to pursue all the means that'll make us more like Jesus. But let's not forget that there's something bigger going on than that. There's something deeper going on. There's a subterranean river flowing under your feet, and it is the fact that before there was time, God predestined you to become more like Jesus. And in those times when you feel like maybe that's not going very well, in those times when you feel like you're taking one step forward but then taking two or three steps backward, in those times when it seems like others are growing more quickly than you are, or when you look inside your heart and you don't like what you see, remember that subterranean river is still flowing under your feet. God is still carrying out his plan to make you more like his son. He predestined you to be conformed to the image of Christ. And you can draw strength and encouragement from that truth and help and hope from that truth. So pursue the means of grace. Pursue them vigilantly. Pursue them diligently. But put your trust in God's predestination and plan and power to conform you more into the image of his son. Well, let's look thirdly and finally at the destination of predestination as we draw to a close this morning. God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The purpose of our predestination is conformity to Christ, and the purpose of conformity to Christ is the preeminence of Christ, that Christ would be preeminent as the firstborn among many brothers, among many brothers and sisters in the family of God. So the point of all this, the final destination of this train is the glory of Christ, is the supremacy of of Christ, that he would be the firstborn, that he would be first and preeminent and supreme. God didn't do all this for our glory. He did it for his glory. The sun doesn't revolve around the earth. The earth revolves around the sun. God's plan of salvation 
though it includes us, doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around him. And by his grace, we are caught up into orbit around him for his glory, for our joy in him forever. That's where this golden chain of salvation leads us. We've looked at the first two links this morning. We'll look at the remaining three next week, Lord willing, in verse 30. But the golden chain of salvation leads us to the full enjoying of God to all eternity. It leads us to the fulfillment of our chief end, to glorify and enjoy God forever. God foreknew us and predestined us, and he called us and justified us and will glorify us. He is the one who made this golden chain. He is the one who forged the links and welded them together. He is the one who keeps it together so that by his grace we continue on the journey until one day we arrive at that final destination. Where we're headed is the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you foreknew us before the foundation of the world and you predestined us to be conformed to the image of your son. We thank you for that golden chain of salvation that you forged and that cannot be broken. Help us to understand these truths more clearly, more deeply. Grow us in humility. Grow us in our confidence in your love and our rest in your love. Help us to draw encouragement and strength and help and hope from the fact that you foreknew us and predestined us before there was time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.